0: You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. I'm your host, Brandon, and this week, Daniela is not with us, but I have a special guest, Amanda Pfeiffer from Fickle.com. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Very
1: excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me
0: yeah it should be fun. I mean we're just yeah. figured we'd get together and, and talk a little bit about fermentation in general and and uh, Amanda's a a fermentation enthusiast, evangelist, uh, different terms you could call her, and it, it's again fickle.com with a pH um, and uh, maybe just starting with with that, what where did the the name fickle with the pH come from for you?
1: Um, There's kind of a, I mean, it's a little bit convoluted. I live in Philly and everything here starts with a pH that's supposed to start with an F. It's kind of like a rule. Um, And then also because I really enjoy the pickling part of it. And I also think that's maybe one of the easier ferments to get people started on. And like, that's my mission is to get people started, just get them going. Um, So there's that. And then also because I have Project ADD that I've kind of always had, like not real life ADD, but I like to move around a lot. I'm, I'm kind of fickle with my stuff. And I feel like fermentation is the first project I've had that I've been able to sustain interest in because I think it's so diverse. You know, I can move from one thing to the next and still be kind of under that umbrella of fermentation. Like cheese and vinegar are pretty different products, but... Um, you can still write about both of them on a fermentation blog. So that keeps me interested.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I have to agree with you there because that's something that uh, I, I'm kind of the same way with a lot of different, different projects and fermentation definitely is endless in the different directions a person can go. So uh, yeah, I've
1: heard you talking about that on the, on your podcast and it just made me laugh. Like you were describing exactly how I feel about it a little bit, like saying you're a generalist, I think is really the smartest way to phrase that because that's exactly how I feel. It's like, I'm, I don't, I get specific for short periods of time and then I go away from it and forget a lot of stuff I learned and then maybe swing back a year later or something and see what I can catch up on. But
0: definitely not one of
1: those dig deep people.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, digging deep temporarily is really exciting but thinking about digging deep for the next 10 20 years (laughs) on one specific subject only um is a little tougher for me but uh but fermentation i mean 10 20 years of fermentation i mean there's plenty to plenty of different directions to go or new directions to go possibly as well so totally yep um and and so you're in philadelphia and uh uh, have you uh, as far as I understand you, that's that's not where you're originally from, correct?
1: I am not. I have lived a lot of different places. I'm from um, the Detroit area originally, Midwesterner. So what up Midwest? Yes. Um, and I've lived, I've lived a lot of places. I've lived um, in New Jersey. I've lived in Philly. I've lived in New York. I've lived two places in California. I've lived in France, Spain, and Switzerland. And yeah, I think that's wow. that covers it pretty much. Um, but I've been in Philly for like six years, which is a really, really long time for me to live anywhere.
0: Okay. And, and so in any of those other places that you've been, was fermentation much of something you were thinking about um, back then or, or at least can remember back to different experiences?
1: No, it's so tragic to me, actually. No, I mean, in some senses, yes. Like when I lived in Switzerland, I greatly appreciated the yogurt and the cheese that were very easy to come by in any chain grocery store. You got just like quality that you could not find on any in any grocery store in the U.S. But I don't think I was thinking of that as fermented foods specifically. Um, and same in France, you know, you eat um, like bread for instance like wonderful things and i'm sure there's some in um, spain too but i haven't really delved into that too deeply yet besides cheese um but no i wasn't wasn't really into fermentation even in california i mean i could have there was like um you know there was like a fermentation kitchen like a mile from my house when i lived in monterey and i didn't have any idea what that was at the time unfortunately so um, i feel like i really missed out on a lot of connections but now is the time i guess to
0: make those Yeah. Do you ever make it back to any of these other places that you uh, lived or?
1: I do sometimes. I mean, I like travel wise, I would we really want to get to Europe soon, but I also kind of want to have kids. So we're trying to go places where it's going to be a little more challenging to take kids, you know, where vaccinations and those kinds of things are required um, and then maybe we'll hit up Europe with the children at some point down the line. I don't know. Um, but in terms of California, yeah, my husband's from Santa Cruz. So we're there all the time. Um, and I do get to go check out some of the cool stuff that's going on out there. It's a little crazier. But I have not made it to um, the Cultured Pickle Shop yet, which is going to definitely be there on my next trip to San Francisco. So
0: That's where I've never been to San Francisco or that, that region. And I, I, I need to go because I, I, that's one place I definitely want to check out.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of what's going on with fermentation, it's so much more advanced, I think, than what's happening here on the East Coast. They're just like miles ahead.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like that 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 same way. It's like I follow things with coffee as well. It's like coffee and fermentation and in a lot of different good food stuff. It seems like the the West Coast has a a little bit little bit more ahead in, or at least there's more people focused on it. Totally,
1: and I think it makes sense for fermentation, especially with like vegetable fermentation, just because. And I mean, really, a lot of kind of fermentation because the temperature is so um, consistent, especially in, you know, the coastal area near San Francisco, it's just like Sam, Santa Cruz is like 70 degrees and sunny every day. Like it's pretty easy to ferment when you always know what the, what the weather's going to bring. So, and plus they get produce fresh all year round. Oh, I miss I farmers markets so much
0: from out there. Well, and I guess in another way, that's almost kind of the, uh, the idea of, I mean, that's, it, it's much easier to take fermentation the step f- further or at least was at one point because it wasn't about preservation it was about taste and and uh, other aspects of it i mean you get preservation but um but since they can get food year-round there anyway they don't really need it it's totally uh, so where whereas here in the midwest i i i you know it's it's nice to be able to have something green even uh fermented sauerkrauts or otherwise uh throughout the winter it really helps totally
1: totally yeah M- M- madison's awesome though i I haven't been there in a really long time but i really remember it
0: being a really uh, cool city it is and there's definitely a lot of food here so that's that's one thing i'm, I'm grateful for so that's um, very cool um, so and then speaking of food you you were in the the, the big food industry at, at one point too correct Yes, guilty of that. <laughs> so now, is it something that you like? You look back at and feel guilty about, or is it? Was it a good learning experience, and otherwise?
1: Uh, I do feel a little guilty. Okay. I mean, I, I I see sometimes I see my fermentation evangelism as a little bit of penance for what I did okay. when I was in the food industry. I mean, I wasn't whatever, everyone's a cog in a wheel. You know what I mean? Like I was doing marketing. So in theory, and I was marketing to other food businesses, I wasn't marketing directly to consumers. So I wasn't the one like making kids crave sugar it, directly, but sure. you know, to some degree, there's like indirect, indirect responsibility. And at a certain point, I mean, I worked with these really, really lovely people in a really lovely company that treated its employees very well. And, um, really interesting structured company, a lot of investment in R and D and just like, you know, commitment to science and all those things that I that I believe in um, but applied to the food industry which I really don't believe in and I didn't even at the time Um, so I was a little bit of a hypocrite and I think for a long time I kind of was like well what I'm doing at home is okay and what I'm doing at work isn't so at least I'm better than all these people who are doing this at work and at home and then at a certain point I was like no I'm just a hypocrite like they're better than I am so I need to leave. Um, And that's kind of I mean, it wasn't just because of that that I left. There were many, many reasons to move on. But um, yeah, no, I feel guilty.
0: Okay. Um, I mean, (laughs) did you enter the uh, the food industry with the goal of doing that? Or was it kind of one of those? It was just the job in marketing that you ended up with?
1: Um, I graduated from undergrad with a degree in French literature, so okay. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do, but actually I got recruited directly from college. This is back in the days when people got recruited directly from <laughs> to job market and the, it was, I got to go to Switzerland for two years. That's how I lived in Switzerland because they recruited me specifically to go into this management training program in Switzerland. And so it was, it's a flavor and fragrance company basically. Okay. Um, so I didn't know where I was going to end up. I could have been on the fragrance side, which has its own issues. Um, or the flavor side. And I just kind of went through all these different experiences. And the reason I got the job is because I spoke French. Like I had no business experience. I had no, there was really no reason to hire me other than that I was an an American who spoke French fluently. So that's, um, that's why I was there. And it kind of just morphed into that. And then I left, I went to graduate school in a totally different field. And then I came back um, when I was like, oh, health insurance would be awesome to have. Sure. So yeah, so I guess I did. Didn't really know what I was getting into initially, but when I made the choice to go back, I definitely did, and um, I I was okay with it at the time. I needed stability and all that stuff, and I don't feel like terrible. I don't think I like ruined the earth, but I I do I do have some some guilt and some concerns about how that all went down, and I wish I'd made some different decisions.
0: And so now that you're post food industry and you're 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 sharing these kind of things, is it just fermentation that you pretty much focus on now in in the food? Genre?
1: Yeah, I mean, I started when I started my blog, it wasn't fickle then. Um, it was just whatever I was writing about, whatever. And then I think it was like a year and a half ago when I just started, I was like, why don't I, I the only thing I was really caring about working on was, was fermented stuff like that. Those are the projects that got me excited. And I also did have that feeling of like, everyone needs to know about this. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. It's like sciency fun. It makes everything taste awesome. And I just kind of got that evangelical spirit. And, um, yeah, so I forget what the question was. Sorry,
0: brain. Well, just going uh, going a little bit more with just what you're talking about there. So it sounds like you kind of are, are at least started with more of taste is would that be a, uh, like uh, the taste in the, the fun of it? Or, you know, it seems that people kind of come from different directions. Uh, some are more for the health benefits, and then they discover right. the taste. Which direction was uh, it for you?
1: I was actually totally health, 100% health. Okay. When I, I actually one of the one of the reasons I quit my job. Another reason was because I had like all these weird health problems that cropped up um, within like a year before I quit my job, and I was just like, what is going on with me? And I couldn't figure out any kind of dietary cause because I had to do tastings at work, so I was eating all the things that you're supposed to like eliminate to figure out what's up. Like I couldn't avoid gluten, I couldn't avoid sugar, I couldn't avoid dairy, I couldn't avoid soy. Um, and so when I quit, that's when I really started actually doing a ton of fermentation because one, I had some time, like I wasn't working 80 hours a week anymore. And two, I also, um, you know, was able to decide what was going to be in my diet a hundred percent. And it was then when I really started to make, um, you know, more, I'd been making yogurt and bread for a really long time and sourdough for a really long time, but just getting more into the sauerkrauts and pickles and all that stuff. Um, and I noticed some health benefits like, Really, immediately, like it was pretty crazy how fast um, certain things got cleared up with the use of ferments, so so that is how it went, but I think. With my marketing background, what I kind of know is people will be convinced of something because they want to do it, not because you're telling them it's good for them. I really don't think that convinces anybody of anything. Um, Like my example of this is always when they started to say like drinking a glass of red wine every day is good for you. It was like everybody in the world was was suddenly aware of that fact. And same with (laughs) chocolate. But when they were like, pomegranate juice is full of antioxidants, like the palm company had to spend like $3 billion in marketing to get that message across. (laughs) And I think that's just how it is. People will be converted because they like something. So I think the taste aspect is extremely important when you're talking about ferments. And I think there's plenty of ferments that aren't necessarily healthy that I consume because I like them. And I think other people should feel free to do that too. Nobody's perfect. Nobody has like the exact perfect healthy diet. So Um, I think ferments can be a part of that, whether you like to eat healthy foods or whether you don't because they're healthy and delicious.
0: Now, would you say you consume a a, a large amount of fermented foods or is it, is it kind of balanced with other things that, um, that you eat? I mean, I know for myself, like I end up, uh, I'm, I'm eating fermented things of some sort for, well, for every meal. I mean, and again, yes, some of that's bread or otherwise, but, Uh, I just I find that the the more I think about fermentation, the more I'm experimenting with different things. I just I always have fermented things. And so in that regard, I'm always adding it or making it the center part of a, a meal. So do you do you find yourself doing that more now as well?
1: Oh, totally. We eat so I mean, it's almost ridiculous how many ferments we eat in a given day and I feel like sometimes I'm like oh, this. I wonder if this is really even good like I feel like we need to be a little bit more moderate with how much I mean specifically I think for us it's kimchi like we could yes. eat kimchi I could eat kimchi five times a day and be perfectly happy and now my husband's employee is uh, is Korean and his mother makes kimchi and like he brings me kimchi. So in addition to the kimchi that I make, I have all like the interesting variations that his mother is making with like her grandmother's recipe. Um, so it's only getting worse and I don't care. Like it's so it's, they're so delicious. Like how could you not eat so many ferments? And especially when like you, you know, I'm making so many different ferments on any given day that there's not really a choice. That's like what we have at home.
0: <laughs> yeah, just, just like there wasn't a choice back when you were doing the tastings with your, exactly. your food industry. You, just, you exactly. just have to have to try everything. I do. <laughs> and, uh, and kimchi, yeah, that's definitely one that uh, it, I don't even know when the first time I made kimchi was, but it, it definitely changed things in the sense of it. it uh, I mean, I've always kind of been drawn to the bold flavors in food. Yeah, and, and kimchi just has that to the extreme I mean uh, especially when it's got the the fish sauce in it too i just i love that that full rounded uh, flavor of it do you do a lot of different kinds of kimchi or do you have your favorite uh, go-to
1: I have my favorites but I think I'm pretty um I'll go pretty non-traditional especially now when the weather gets warmer and we have a lot more variety of produce I'll kind of just start throwing whatever I get into some kind of junior. Gin- Rice mixture and see see what ends up working out. Um, but no, I mean I like I actually really like mool, but I don't do like water kimchi. But I don't do it. Um, I don't really do it as a pickle. I actually do pack it the way that you pack red kimchi. I just mm-hmm. use fruit um, instead of um, um, instead of like the rice paste. And I really, I really do love that. I can eat that all the time, but I like the spicy stuff a lot too. So I don't know. I probably will have a little more for lunch, <laughs> and okay. spicy more for breakfast and dinner. Sure. Um, but it all depends. Depends on the day. I, I, there's probably like five or six kimchi's in my normal rotation. And then I'll, you know, throw something in there every so often when there's something interesting
0: at the farmer's market. But if if I caught that correctly, it almost sounds like you're more extreme with kimchi than I am. It sounds a lot of times it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or those are on different days?
1: No, it's... I, a lot of times it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, That's awesome. it's ridiculous. No, it's ridiculous. I know it's it's a serious problem, but there's it's so good. It's like if I open the refrigerator and there's just a jar sitting there staring at me, it, it seems rude to leave it. <laughs> I have to kind of bring it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. surprisingly, actually, just today, I was uh, moving some jars around and, and realized I'd forgotten about uh, a jar of kimchi You know that had been going for the past month. And I was like, I I've been waiting for for my other big batch to get finished uh, because i'm not always so good at timing things because i'm doing a lot of different ones at the same time Me so neither. it's like I'm i really terrible. want some kimchi and uh and then there it was and it was ready to go so I, it was an, it was a pleasant surprise how old was it uh, it was it was one month old oh, okay um, and it That's was great yeah so it was it was it was good i will sometimes do uh, younger kimchis just because i i love i think it tastes good even after oh, yeah. a week or two. Oh um, yeah,
1: yeah, I eat them young too.
0: And uh and then I'll I'll cook a lot more with them once they get a, a little bit older or uh, especially if I have some that sit in the back of the refrigerator for a while and get really tart. Yeah. Um, or vinegary. So but um uh, didn't you also thinking of kimchi? Uh, I can't remember back on uh I think I noticed on Twitter at one point you you were doing some kind of workshop for kimchi and you had a photo of swollen hands from packing kimchi was that what it was or <sighs>
1: I think they were just dyed. I have um, one of the weird like conditions that occurred shortly before I quit my job. I was born with eczema. I've had it my whole life, but um, it got like really, really bad. Um, and so, and sometimes it will flare up, especially if I'm like washing too many dishes or whatever. I get it on my exclusively on my hands. Um, so I think like I didn't have gloves and I was packing the kimchi. So like the red dye like soaked into where the dry skin was, and it looked like I was murdering people constantly for a week. It was, it was not attractive. My husband, every time I, I like reached for him, he was like, ah, please don't, don't do that. Don't touch me. Well, um, so, yeah.
0: so you're able to, you just touch it straight with your hands though. You, I,
1: I have kimchi gloves. This was at, I was at a demo and um, I was doing it for another organization and Um, We were splitting what I was bringing some of the stuff they were bringing some of the stuff and I think I thought they were bringing gloves and they thought I was bringing gloves. So I just didn't have gloves. So I just did it barehanded. Um, But I do prefer to use gloves. I mean, I really prefer to use gloves for anything like even just getting like the salt water on my hands. Um, you know, if I'm like packing veggies or
0: whatever, it can get to be a bit much. Yeah, that that repetitive uh, aspect of it. If 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 a person's doing it a lot, it definitely dries out a lot. But oh yeah. Um, but I can't. The I'll, I'll sometimes do just uh, any kind of uh, salt, but with kimchi, if if it's any kind of spicy kimchi oh, at yeah. all i i mean wearing contacts it's like all it takes is not getting one crevice on underneath my fingernail or something and that ends up in my eye and it does I've not had, feel good it
1: multiple times i've totally um damaged my eyeballs with we yeah. can <laughs> just forget or, you know like on the side of a finger or something where you just don't even think about it until you're crying yep. in agony yeah and these sourced. are the,
0: these are the things people don't think about if they haven't made kimchi before <laughs> but as soon as that happens once you don't forget the dangers of kimchi yes ball.
1: Maybe maybe you don't. I (laughs) I think I've stabbed myself in the eye a few times. I'm worse, though. I'm not as bad with kimchi. I'm because it does tend to stain my hands. so That's a good reminder. But when (laughs) like making hot sauce. Oh, man, that's I'm bad with that. I've definitely more than one time just like touched a jalapeno seed and then rubbed my eye. (laughs) And that is very bad.
0: Yeah, it's well, I guess. No, I I really didn't learn either because it's like it took because I've had that happen with jalapenos. And so I guess I compartmentalized it years ago. I was like, oh, jalapenos. No, don't do that. But then the first time I do did kimchi, you know, the first few times right. I didn't think of it. So but right, so then the pan- you do uh, fermented hot sauces or just. i do both and this is actually i'm
1: embarrassed to say i kind of prefer vinegar hot sauces and i do it like a kind of a fermenty way i just soak it you know i just soak my um i soak my peppers in vinegar and like you do a whole mashup but um i do i do do the fermented way i i just really i like the flavor better actually not fermented which is a really weird thing for me to say about anything but um that is kind of how i feel about it so i'll i'll do a fermented one every so often but i'm required by my husband to have several other um several hot sauce options on hand at any time so probably three out of four will be non-fermented
0: well and i i try to remember back uh it's so with the the southern style hot sauces like the Louisiana hot sauces, um, a lot of those they're fermented, but then they add the vinegar at the end. Have you tried tried that? Like a, a long ferment, like maybe a uh, over a year, two years, and then and then I guess it's they add more vinegar. To it, I'm not exactly sure how it all, all works in the long run, but do you have any Yeah, familiarity?
1: I have actually done the adding vinegar at the end. That's actually the first recipe I ever used, which wasn't that long ago. I think the first time I fermented it was maybe a year ago. And um, it was from the wild fermentation website, actually. Oh, okay. um, one of the people who blogs on there. It wasn't Sander. <laughs> Um, and it, it's a great recipe. I mean, it tastes really, really good. It's just, I really, I guess I shouldn't say I like the flavor better. I should say it's, it is a lot easier of a process and I like the flavor a lot from the non-fermented sauces. Um, but the recipe they put on wild fermentation did actually include adding vinegar at the end. And I asked him on the blog, like, do you have to add vinegar at the end? And he was like, um, pretty much. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to get mold like immediately. Oh, so okay. So that's any- the reason. That's what he said. Yeah. He was like, if, like, you get mold pretty much anyway, it looked like from his photos. It was pretty moldy on top. Um, I didn't get mold on mine because I was pretty crazy about stirring it because I'm, I don't like the flavor from mold. Like, I, I found that I really don't like it if it gets on my pickles or whatever. It just gives it an off note that is not palatable to me. Um, but yeah. So that's the recipe that I first used. And it did include vinegar. So I've kind of done it that way since
0: okay see yeah i the only uh last season i just had a, a huge crop of 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 peppers and uh i mean a lot it got too cold too soon and a lot of them were green but they turned turned red uh after i let them sit for a little while and then I, I fermented a lot of those i didn't get any mold or anything like that but i i mean i just i didn't even do any recipe i just threw it all together and uh they i didn't get mold it and it it worked okay i'm still going through some of it from uh last season and it it's worked okay i i haven't tried the adding vinegar thing though so but you're oh, saying that's that,
1: crazy so well then hey maybe i should follow your method i might like it better i mean i'm adding my own vinegar so i feel like okay it's still a ferment but
0: oh so you're um, fermenting the vinegar and adding adding your own fermented vinegar
1: add my yeah i add my own vinegar to it
0: okay okay well hey then you know it's it's got kind of fermentation counts. yeah exactly <laughs> um uh, now, you did mention uh, Wild Fermentation and, and Sander cats, And I know for myself, that was really a large, you know, it was really my introduction to fermentation was the book Wild Fermentation. And uh, did did you did you come at it from a different angle or was that kind of an entry for you as well?
1: No, totally me too, except for the yogurt and the sourdough that I made for years before I okay. read that book. Um, and I, and actually same thing, or I don't know if this is the same thing. I actually was making bread and yogurt, not really thinking about them as ferments. And then somebody gave me wild fermentation and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. And I read it, but I had like what I like to refer to as American fear of (laughs) of microbial life. So I would like make stuff and then I would be too scared to eat it. Um, which is really sad and it makes me laugh now, but that also was kind of, what pushed me to get into writing the blog and stuff because I just don't want anybody else to ever feel that way like it's totally fine and it's really hard to know that you know that's just not how I was raised I was not raised to leave food sitting out on the counter and then eat it a month later (laughs) Um, so you have to overcome that a little bit and wild fermentation helped me with that but um, I think the art of fermentation like I kind of try to stick people in that direction because it seems a little bit more formal or something I don't know
0: yeah, it's still got the Sander Cat's style of of writing, totally. and, and that that you know I'd almost say that kind of warm, a welcoming kind of way of writing, even when going a little bit more in depth. But yes, I I definitely would say too the the art of fermentation is is where it's at now. I mean, um, it's got everything that wild fermentation had, and in, in a lot more. Um, but but going back to that that fear uh, related side of things, because that's something that I didn't experience, and I don't know if that was just because you know I was in a point in my life where I was like, eh. I can eat stuff that's sat out. It's like, it's no problem. I mean, what, what is like, because I've met plenty of people that are, are fearful as well. Um, and they're, you know, reasonable re- uh, understanding why people are uh, th- that way. But at the same time, I find it's kind of hard to, to get food. And I'm not recommending people leave anything out, but it's kind of, it's like I've left other food out and I haven't gotten sick yet. Again, that's not saying that it couldn't happen, but I've been lucky so far. So What is it for you that, like, really, um, uh, like, what was the biggest fear? And then also, how did you, did you just get over it because you just tried a few things and didn't die?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it was completely not logical. I mean, on one hand, I'd lived in... Europe where people leave a lot of food sitting out all the time. And like, even when I was in, I lived in Spain, my junior year of college, it was like my foreign study year. And my host family used to make their meals for the whole week on Monday. And then they put them in this room next to the kitchen, which was like slightly cooler than the kitchen, but definitely not refrigerated temperature. And even like in, in warm weather, they would do this. And I remember just being like, what are they doing? Why are they not dying? And I, I mean, I ate that food for a year or for six months that I lived with them. And then I moved into my own apartment um, and I was fine. And and, and, like, and I've seen a lot of that in many, many, many other countries. Like, we're the only people that are crazy about having our giant refrigerators full of stuff. And I thought that that was stupid. And I've left, you know, butter and cheese and stuff sitting out. But I think the fear was more, you know, it was like the typical thing, like the canning thing where – is there something in here that's going to kill me that I don't know about? Like, I really don't want to die. I'm going to feel really stupid if I died because (laughs) I made kefir. you know, like I think that was the thing. So it was like, I would have these like mini sips and then I'd be like, and I'd be like, okay, well, you're supposed to be able to tell if something's wrong. And then I'd be like, but I don't know if something's wrong or not, you know, like it tastes good, but I'm not sure. Um, So I just, I think it was just basic doubt. And then the overcoming of it was really just being like, stop being ridiculous. You're fine. You've been doing this for, I'd been doing it for months and months and months and months. When I finally was like, forget it. And I even took like a fermentation workshop. I think um, when I was still kind of half consuming the thing, like I was consuming them, but I wasn't consuming them with relish. Let's put it that way. I was okay. always a little bit nervous. Um, there were no amount of assurances that were would make me that made me feel really comfortable. And then when I took the workshop, I was like, these people are doing exactly the same thing that I'm doing, and they are like living life and finding great pleasure in this, and exclusively finding pleasure in it, and that kind of flipped the switch for me, and then I, it was all downhill from there. I've just been going nuts ever since.
0: Well, it, it is interesting, and so, I mean, it's so, so the fear aspect of it, too, I mean, like you were saying, like the, the workshops you teach now, letting other people experience in, in in the blog and everything that you're... Is that really something that you find um, a lot of people are concerned about still? Um, oh, when, yes. You talk? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no I, I mean, it's... <laughs> What is it all still pretty much coming from the same same place? Of you know, is this is this going to kill me? Is this going to make me uh, me sick? I mean, I guess for me, I, I spend a lot of time trying to think about like what is it really about leaving food out? That I mean, I know that it's kind of instilled in people um, through different messages, oftentimes heard, or even just from parents passing down, like saying you don't leave things out. But um, I I don't even know exactly. I don't even necessarily have a question exactly, no, but. I-
1: I know what you're saying. I think like, we're, I I, culturally, I think it's terrifying what we've kind of done to the microbial community. I mean, I was, um, my parents took me on a trip to Disney world earlier this year with my niece and there's like a Purell machine every three feet, like just these dispensers of antibacterial hand soap. And I was just like, if anybody in my family touches one of those, I'm going (laughs) to lose my mind. Like I could not believe how prevalent they were. And and I like, I I just feel like we've gotten so far away from, like, a true understanding of what's really happening that, like, and when that happens, like, it's really easy to convince people of anything. Like, when you don't really understand how something works, it's really easy for somebody who seems to know better than you to say, like, oh, that's really, really bad. And I think that is what it is. Like, I think people really believe, like there couldn't be anything more terrifying than that image you see in a Purell commercial of like bacteria under a microscope, you know, like that's the worst possible thing that could happen instead of just accepting that like our world is covered in bacteria. Most of them are not pathogenic bacteria. um, And if we start eliminating those from our lives, we're going to end up having a lot of problems, which a lot of people now do um, I think is a direct result. I don't know if there's really like a ton of science to back me up, but I think there will be more science to back
0: me up as the time goes by it seems like it keeps going in that direction at least i mean it's it's yeah Yeah. uh, everything that and that's that's i find for myself it's like it start it it started with fermented food but then going to that bigger aspect of of looking at anything uh, microbial related and and the microbiome and everything that's coming out um and new studies and it's it's like it, it goes well beyond food and so these just these microorganisms that uh do so many beneficial things are are really exciting and i mean i think that's probably uh, a lot of the the reason to start this podcast anyway is just to really be able to talk about some of those and and i know it's really a podcast about fermented food but it's so hard not to get excited about all the other uh, microbial news and happenings out there
1: totally i feel that way and actually whenever like i teach I teach a decent amount i teach like i don't know anywhere from 2 to like 5 times a month and i always and i for my basics classes anyway I always start out by just saying, like, A, please don't use Purell (laughs) before you start fermenting um, or ever, really. And B, like, you're never going to die from this. I promise you, you're not going to die. No one's going to die from anything that we're doing in this classroom. It's not even possible. Like, you're doing the opposite of that. You're making it impossible for you to die from this. Um, So I think – and I think you really kind of have to drum that in. Like, I've been continually – re-surprised like i'll there'll be people who are i know are regular readers in my blog who have either come to my classes or send me emails and then when we're like in some kind of more in-depth conversation or email conversation they it's like becomes clear that they've never actually fermented anything and i'm like you're spending so much time on my blog like (laughs) you care about this just do it like you'll be fine i promise you um, but they uh, yeah, there is just like this really deeply instilled fear of everything that is and surrounds bacteria in our culture and like cleanliness is the most important thing in the world. Um, and I think, you know, cleanliness is important, but sterility is bad. True. I think that that runs across everything in life.
0: Yeah. And uh, well, you must be doing something right with the blog, because if you're having people that are not actually fermenting, but still fascinated and and excited about what you're writing, I mean, that's 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 pretty good.
1: I don't I don't know how good that is. Like, I, I feel this hasn't happened a ton of times. I think it's happened like three or four times in the past almost year now. Um, And I just actually met somebody in person that I've been like communicating, you know, via email and social media and everything with and just assuming like she comments on every like almost every blog post. If she doesn't comment, she sends me an email. And then she was telling me like, I'm starting to get there. I'm almost there. And I was just like, wow, like I just felt so One, I felt a little bit like a failure because I was like, my whole point is to make you comfortable. (laughs) Like, that's what I want. I want everybody to feel comfortable approaching this. Um, And then also I felt just like, okay, like, this is a really good thing for you to remember. Like, I always feel like I'm right. Like I can move on to the next thing. Like they've got that part down. They're good with that part. But I think like, no, that's not true. Like, I think that has to be continually something that I remind myself of and that I remind my readers of and people that take my classes because it's just, I'm fighting Against like a huge, huge cultural tide. I mean, I'm not alone, obviously. Like there are people that have been doing it a lot longer and a lot better than I have. But um, it is, it's just this very, very instilled fear of anything that isn't totally sterile and controlled and done in a factory and under sterile conditions approved by the
0: FDA. <laughs> very true. And, and and so these these fermentation workshops you do, and, and I saw, it seemed recently, there was even a, a kimchi uh, cheese pairing event you did as well. Yeah, is that, that was super fun. Uh huh. Now, are you so you're doing quite a quite a few of these? Um, are they pretty much the same kinds of things, or do you mix it up a lot?
1: I try to mix it up, um, just because for one, I, they're you know people that are really engaged in fermentation. I think kind of have this thirst to continue to learn, and they like to do it in a communal environment. And I totally get that. Um, so I like to give them new options, and then also. Um, I do do a lot of basics, though, like um, things that are just really, really easy to do and that are difficult to mess up because I think, you know, once you've had one success, you're much more apt to continue to try different things. Um, but yeah, the kimchi thing was super fun. I worked with a woman named, um, Tanaya Darlington who writes a blog, which i I heard on your podcast that you're really into cheese right now. So you should definitely check out her blog. It's, um, Madame fromage blog and she just wrote a book and she's just this really amazing woman. And she knows like tons of stuff about cheese and it's not so much about cheese making just about like cheese, like everything about cheese. Um, and she and I got together and we tasted some kimchi and we paired them with some che- at this some um, great cheese shop in Philly called the Bruno Brothers, and then we had a we had an event as part of the science festival. So we talked about fermentation, we talked about kimchi, we talked about cheese, and um, it was really a lot of fun. Like I, honestly, I think people were a little surprised by how well the pairings went together because it's not necessarily the first thing that you think of if you think kimchi or cheese. But um, there's such a variety, you know, there's such a variety of both things that we were able to find some really good matches. So that was super
0: fun. Did any of that get uh, put on uh, either your blog or, or her blog?
1: She wrote a blog post about it for um, DeBruno Brothers. She's like their in-house blogger as okay. well. Um, so yeah, that is online and you can find which what the pairings were. Okay. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting about that was we did the pairings, you know, obviously we had to do them in advance. It was like a big mm-hmm. event. Um, and then I had to make new kimchi for the (laughs) for the thing. So I tried to do them the same way. And I tried to do give them the same amount of time to ferment and all that. But, you know, there's always variation. And who knows, like the temperature got warmer between the time that we first tasted and the time that I made the next batch. So um, they weren't they weren't the same, you know, there were definitely variations between the kimchi's that we had um, when we started in whatever month that was February or March, and then what we actually ended up tasting with that big group of people and April, but I like that. I think that's um, that's a cool part of fermentation.
0: So then, would you say maybe you're more in the on the along the lines of a- allowing your ferments to be different every time, uh, or do you like to you know take notes and try and get temperature and everything specific?
1: No, I'm so not, I'm so lazy. I I, I definitely am not a like, I have like a little side blog. That's my fermentation notebook. And so if like when I'm digging deep on something like there, like I said, I'll get in a phase where I'm like, Oh, I really am into this. And I'll like spend all my time making 400 different kinds of vinegar. Um, And then I will kind of keep track of what, you know, what specifically I'm doing differently. So I can have a little bit of a scientific method to apply to it. Um, but for the most part, especially the stuff that I'm making at home, like for us to eat, that stuff that I'm not making for a class or not making to like gain deeper understanding. No, I am so ad hoc. I don't measure anything. I don't. I'm I'm really horrible about it. And I'll put it wherever I feel like putting it in the house. I don't have like a set spot that I put stuff. Except for miso is in the basement. But other than that, <laughs> not really.
0: Yeah, I'm kind. I'm I'm kind of the same way. I I, I sometimes like to think I'm the 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 other way of, of really following a little bit more of a scientific method and and really focusing. The only thing I really do is I'll I will measure. I just I like uh, my gram scale and just being able to to kind of know what ratio I'm doing there. That's about as as far as I go. But yeah, it, it, it ends up anywhere and things get fermented for different amounts of time. Like that kimchi I just talked about. It's like oh, I forgot that that was fermenting and um i guess it's ready Um, totally but then you mentioned miso as well so is that something that you do often or no
1: i've only made i've made one batch of miso i started it in january and i haven't looked at it it's still it's it's supposed to be a long one um so i have i've not thought i've been intentionally not thinking about it for the past six months because i don't want to um I don't want to have to go check on it. I want to leave it and let it do its thing. Um, do you know, so we'll how see.
0: much longer are you going to let it go? Another six months
1: or so? Or I think I'm going I'm to try for a year. We'll see. I mean, it's probably stupid to do it this way for my first batch. And usually, I'm you, I'm pretty. That's one thing I'm pretty good about is I'll usually try the simplest way the first time and then um, make my process more complicated as I go along. Yeah. But in this case, uh, I I was like, no, I'm going full bore. I'm gonna. And I have a friend who makes like fantastic misos, um, usually chickpea misos. And so I have like a stash of real miso that I eat from while I'm waiting for the batch to be done. But I mean, who knows this could turn out terribly and then I'm just in trouble. But
0: I don't know, is is from from your readings or otherwise is miso really very difficult to screw up? I I the
1: only thing I've really heard like molds and I mean, you know, what you can skim. I don't know. I it's not so much that it's probably going to be messed up as that I don't like to not be able to look at it for that long. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, really, I really don't know what's going on in there. There could, anything could be happening. Um, and it's and because it's such a long time. I mean, I guess I'm not doing anything now. Like, you know, the work, which was not that much work to begin with is over. So I don't need to worry about it too much, but it is taking up a container, you know, that's going to be out of commission for the next six months. So if it doesn't turn out, I'll be sad about that.
0: Very true. Yeah. It's, it's some of these long ferments are I, I, you know, I I feel like I'm, I, well, I know I'm finally settled down, not going to be moving anywhere. It, 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 so I really need to get more into the longer ferments and I have all the supplies I need for, for miso making. I just haven't actually uh, checked that off my list yet of things, um, which I need to get going on because it's like, like you're saying, it's going to be quite a long time. You can um,
1: do short ones though. Um, my The friend that I have that makes chickpea misos, I think she only does like month long miso agings. So or she does she, like they're shorter misos. I don't know. And I've read even like in Art of Fermentation about much shorter ferments on those i just wanted to be a little bit crazy i wanted to have something going i've done like really old kimchis like really really salty you know long fermentation kimchis but i haven't done anything else that's like a really long ferment um so
0: i was trying to build my street cred <laughs> definitely hey, that's you know have you have you tried much for for cheese at all um, a little bit of cheese. Cheese is another one I've been
1: making for a long time, but not fermented. Um, you know, I, like Mark Bittman was my, was my first Sander Cats, okay. <laughs> um, And, um, and I made, you know, like acidified mozzarella, acidified ricotta, like all that stuff. Um, but I've done, I've done a few things, um, like feta and real mozzarella now. And what else have I done? Oh, I just made something that I'm really excited about. It's weird. Um, there's a book that just came out not too long ago called artisan vegan cheeses and, um, it's vegan cheese, but it's good. I'm not making this up. It actually is made out of cashews, but you ferment them with rejuvelac. So they're, it's like cultured and it doesn't taste gross at all. Like the, I just made a really quick ferment. It was like a three day, um, aging and like the, like a chef basically, and it's really good. Like, I'm honestly, I'm so surprised. I was expecting it to be. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be mean. I was expecting it to be gross. Like, sure. I really, didn't, I did not think it was going to be good. But I'm like, I'm so impressed by this. I'm like, every time I have vegan or like people who can't eat cheese over like this is what I'm doing. I'm from now on. It's it's so tasty. It's really, really good.
0: And does it taste like cheese? Or is it just that it, it tastes good in its own own way?
1: Well, it tastes like cheese. It tastes like, um, like you know, it doesn't taste like fantastic cheese. And I haven't experimented with – she has, like, really old aging ones in there, like aging for months um, cheeses, which I do kind of want to try now that this turned out so well. Um, but it tastes a little bit like a store-bought goat cheese, basically. You know okay. what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah. it's not, like, the most amazing, like, crazy flavorful artisan cheese, but it's, it's plenty good. Like, I don't think most people – who, you know, aren't like super savvy tasters would be, would have any objections to eating it. I mean, texture wise, you know, it doesn't exactly have the cheese texture. Um, but I think if I had a Vitamix, I would be able to even get it, the texture to be more cheesy. Um, but I just have a regular food processor, so.
0: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put that uh, book once I find it, I'll put that in the show notes as well so that Everyone can uh, try that cheese uh, because that that cheese is in the in that new book you are saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. it's like one of the very first ones. I just wanted to kind of do a simple one to because I am I've been doing cheese on the blog for or, like way too long now. I, my ADD is kicking in. I am like, okay, I am going to be done with this, but I have so many other things that I've already written that I want to get up. So um, that one was the the last one that I wanted to actually make that I hadn't made before, and it was uh, yeah, it was pretty good.
0: So, so you are talking about writing a lot on, on your blog and, and you do have a lot of articles. I mean, do you, what is it like to spend so much time thinking about, about fermentation as a, as a, as a so-called fermentation enthusiast?
1: I feel like I should ask you that question. <laughs> Actually, I was think I've been thinking that question for you listening to your podcast. Cause it's like, you have a kid, right? Yes. I just can't imagine how you have the time. I mean, you've been fermenting for longer than I have as well. Um, unless you count my not knowing that I was fermenting ferments, it's,
0: it's, it still counts.
1: But I, but like I cannot imagine. I mean. Between work and my dog, I'm pretty much like, "Okay, I ferment as much as I can, and at best, I can introduce one new ferment a month, and when I'm teaching a lot in a month, I can't even do that, so I don't understand how you are able to do all the stuff that you do. I'm very impressed
0: well i think I think the trick there is that uh you know while I do a lot of ferments on a regular basis i i read and learn about a lot more than I ever actually do so I mean if if, if it seems like I, I do way more in the podcast it's it's probably just because I talk way more about uh, about fermentation than um, you know I could use a little bit more action because I, I wish I could have all the time like you're talking it, it does it gets tough to, to to be able to actually orchestrate all of these different things going at the same time and having enough space I mean the space isn't too much of an issue I mean I've got room in my basement but it it's it's a lot to keep track of. I need to actually get a better system. I think I need to actually start documenting some things. Maybe not for you know so I know ratios in the future, but just so that I can so I can I, I can remember to actually uh, start something new. Um, you know, a few months go by mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I need to start that that miso.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I actually finally just made a spreadsheet. Um, and I'm not even sure you're talking about being this horrible, but like, cause I just sat down to the desk that I don't normally work at, um, to, you know, get on the Skype with you. And I found a jar of sunchoke pickles that are like crazy moldy and have definitely been here for at least five months. <laughs> like they're like stuck in the back. And I'm like, okay. So I thought I was doing good because I made a spreadsheet. I finally have this thing going where it's like date ferment started, date like and I have like planned things and I have things that are already going that I need to remember to do. Because even like, you know, you can forget a sourdough starter and it's fine if it's in the fridge, but I've you know, I think a lot of cultures take abuse until they don't anymore. That's like kind of where, where I am where it's like, okay, well they say, you know, you should probably feed your sourdough starter once a week. And like, yes, my sourdough starter has gone for five weeks without being fed and it's been totally fine and it's bounced back and everything's been great. But like that could have not happened too. You know what I mean? I could have gone in there and it could have just been dead. And then I'd be really sad that a culture I've been tending for years is just gone forever because I was too lazy to spend three minutes feeding it, you know, a few weeks before. So I'm trying to be a little bit more organized because I think that's what happens when you do a lot of different things. It just gets like overwhelming. And some stuff I'm waiting very anxiously for. And some stuff is just stuff that I was like, oh, that's at the farmer's market, gonna, gonna pickle it. And then I throw it in a jar and then I find
0: it moldy and <laughs> in June. I I know how exactly how that is, and it and it is it it, it is kind of sad. I mean, for the, especially for the things that can't be salvaged. Uh, occasionally that happens, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I you know, not as much starters. That's that's even more sad. I I lost, uh, a, I don't remember. I lost a, a actually one yogurt heirloom yogurt. Culture. I mean, it's oh. one that I could easily purchase again online, but that's not really the the, no. <laughs> the concept, but um, it's, uh, you know, like, because I was keeping um, seven or eight different uh, dairy cultures alive. And wow. you know, I usually try and keep backups. It's kind of like backing up a hard drive on a computer or different things like that. I mean, I always try and like make sure that I'm fermenting within a week and then keeping the extra one from the previous week. So if something happens, then I still right. have, um, that one that should still have enough bacteria to, uh, to make it work. But it, it but then sometimes it just, it's, it, you know, it's like when I've, it's the next week, it's time to get out all the jars again and fill them all with milk and put all that in. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not a lot, but when there's other ferments or other things going on, totally. um, sometimes it stretches out a little too far. And then, you know, I ended up with a, I don't know if it was, it was bad milk or bad, uh, jar i mean that's where like it's not sterility is definitely not something to focus on but cleanliness i mean maybe i had a uh, a slightly not clean enough jar or something or, or a weak bacteria and that's all it took and then i didn't have any backup and it's it's sad to lose those cultures uh totally. that, um but i i the one that i always make sure is is my vili and and i don't know if you've listened to the any of the talks that i've done about Vili, but uh it's that's definitely my favorite yogurt and it's, it's probably partly because it's kind of stretchy and, and and some people think it's gross. But have you have you tried Vili?
1: Yeah, I have Vili too. And I really like it. Um I, plus I just love it because it's so easy. Like you don't have to do any like I just love the mesophilic yogurts because I just can't I used to make you know lots of different kinds of yogurt not a lot. I used to make two different weird kinds of yogurt. And just having the vili, it's really, e- it's just so easy. I just like the easy. I like to be able to, I mean, you don't even have to do anything. And I, when I do um, classes, if I'm doing yogurt, a lot of times I'll use vili because uh, for that very reason, I feel like anybody who hasn't made yogurt before, like there's really no excuse not to make vili. <laughs> like pour milk in bowl. You're done.
0: Yes. Uh, it's. It, 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 yeah, it's it's it definitely for, especially for anyone that's tried making yogurt before and, you know, say, a Bulgarian or just a regular store bought, using a st- store bought starter culture, it's a lot more work. And, uh, uh and I'm even kind of lazy when it comes to that with, uh, making the heirloom Bulgarian yogurt that I have. I, a lot of times, I don't mind if I just use it as a drinking yogurt because I like the taste. I don't, I don't warm it up or do anything with it. it because a lot of times I'm just using pasteurized milk anyway. So I just, uh, you know, just put it in its incubator and let it warm up in there. Um
1: That's cool. That's really cool. What other um what other dairy strains do you have?
0: The dairy strains are uh film yelk, uh the the Pime, I, I still have a little bit of that. I should have something that's uh usable in in the freezer, but uh I'll s i will that's not always totally successful. But um and then I have uh Matsoni, uh cultured buttermilk, uh kefir, um I don't, I don't know if you already said it before. Do you say kefir or kefir? I say kefir too, but I wish okay. I'd started
1: saying kefir. I like the way it sounds better, <laughs> but now it's habit.
0: I I, I went through a, a phase where it's like, I don't really like the way kefir sounds. And then I started using it. I found a few months later I was actually using it and then I started to like it. And then at some point I just kind of went back to kefir um, because that's how it always was. I kind of, um, you know, I'd even before actually fermenting uh, or, or, or probably realizing that Kiefer was, when I was younger, I'd, I'd have uh Kiefer, the, what is it? The Lifeway brand It's pretty much yep. the one yep. that's been around. Yep. That's the one. Yeah. So it's like starting young with, with, with Kiefer is just kind of how everyone's going to pronounce it. So it's, I'm, I'm stuck, I think.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. I feel the same way. I don't think I have the option to go to Kiefer now, but I wish, I kind of wish I did. There's... That's crazy though. I can't believe you keep that many dairy cultures alive. I mean, I can understand how somebody would die in that
0: under those circumstances. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Then there's, there's, well, actually there's three versions of, of Vili as well. So that's. Uh... Wait, what, what do you mean with different milks? Well, no, it's the, uh, you know, a couple of them are commercially available. So the Vili from, uh, cultures for health, which is a, yeah. a short uh, one so it doesn't it doesn't have that really stretchy stringiness to it, okay and then there's the one from what's gem. The, gem cultures yeah, that is, is the you know that's the that, from anything that I can find that's the oldest one in the world uh that is wow. is, is it, it, that's a known strain i mean I'm sure publicly known i guess i mean there's probably family strains that are older, but it's the only one right. that can really be traced back to over a hundred years ago and that's crazy. Uh, and then there's another one that I got from directly from a place in uh, the upper part, I don't remember what it's called, the, the part of Michigan that's above Wisconsin. The upper peninsula? There you go, the upper peninsula. Yeah. <laughs> upper something. You're I,
1: talking to a gander.
0: Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so there, that's the largest uh, population of Finnish Americans. So I, I got one directly from them, uh, from someone up there that has been keeping it going. And that's the only one that I have that has the geotrichum candidum, which is that mold on top. Uh, it just forms a little fuzzy mold and that's
1: crazy yeah. i honest to god i did not even know there were three vealys yeah
0: vealys kind of something that i could probably just go on about but uh that's you know, people, really cool yeah the geotrichum though it it really because it's the same kind of same uh, mold or sort of mold as is on brie or different things so it adds a depth of flavor that just isn't in the gem cultures uh one in the same way wow so i really so respect. do you skim the mold no, I I just uh will eat it or let it you kind of mix it. in. Okay. Yeah. That's no, it's, cool. it's it's a really just a very fine fuzz. Like I it, like it was described as kind of a velvety surface. And so I was I was on a, a mad search for months trying to find someone that had this somewhere and uh it, it does make a difference. So it and, and and these are the kind of things that I try and pass around it's like you did a yogurt workshop like try and get them out because i think with any of these Mm -hmm. these cultures it's like these heirloom things it's like they you could lose them at any time so the more people that you know that you shared them with the easier it is to get one in the future that's kind of how i feel
1: i feel the same way i give everybody everything i'll bring if i'm doing yogurt i'll bring like a million scobies and vinegar mothers and whatever i'll bring any culture that i have and i'm like happy i mean for one thing because they you know Propagate themselves very readily, and sometimes you don't have the room for them. I can only have so many yes. scoby hotels in my house, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's really that's really really neat. I'd definitely be interested to try that one.
0: Maybe my next trip to the UP, I'll. Uh, How did you actually find it? Did you get someone to send it to you? Yeah, I got someone. I uh, it was really nice. There's a Finnish American festival, yearly festival, and it happened to be. Uh, it's different places, but it happened. It's going to be up there in um, mm. this this month. Um, and uh, I contacted them, and uh, the the director of the the festival said that her mother would probably be able to connect me with someone. So they were very helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- I I like that aspect of, of fermentation as well as that that connection and community that can kind of uh, develop. Um, and- oh, totally. I totally agree with that.
1: Although I do feel like it's it can be a little bit hard to find. Like, I'm, that's one reason I'm exciting that exciting, excited (laughs) that fermentation is kind of taking off, you know, getting more press and everything, because I feel like there are going to be more people that are interested in it. And like, and that's why I like teaching classes too, because I end up really connecting with people that even if they don't have a lot of experience, they're really interested in it. And then, you know, you kind of, can trade stuff with them down the line, which is super fun. I have like a little bit of a, I'm kind of like a culture hub now in Philly, like people that I've given keeper grains to or whatever now will like send me an email being like, I have like 10 sets of grains that I need to get rid of. And I'm like, I have like 10 people that need grains. So I'm kind of like a, you know, like a pimp for cultures. Hey, that's, that's great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, in uh, it just thinking of other 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 cultures, so with with kefir, are do you have good success at growing the grains? Because I I never mine doesn't actually I mine have never been enough to really share too many too often. Milk kefir? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This is okay. So this is my weird thing that I have not yet read backed up anywhere. Um, so I don't know if I'm right because I okay. there's nothing in the literature that I've been able to find. But what I think happens for me is when I, when they're dormant, they definitely reproduce more quickly. Um, I have no idea if that has been true for anybody else in the world, but I've actually gotten as close as I get to measuring things. And it's, it's pretty much true. Like if I leave them in the fridge for 10 days, when I take them out, they will have created a lot more of themselves um, then if I'm just day to day, you know, cause I, am more often I'm doing like a little bit every day mm-hmm. than I am sticking them in the fridge. But if like, I know I'm going out of town or something, um, and I leave them in the fridge, I will, I'll have more, way more grains at the end of their dormant period than I did when I put them in there. Um, then I would, if I, you know, if I was culturing every day for 10 days, um, on the counter. I will not have anywhere near as many. So I'm not sure why that is. And I, I really, I've looked a little bit to see if anybody else has experienced this phenomenon and I haven't seen anything. So maybe it's my freaky grains. But my sister killed my grains um, when I was in Peru last year. So um, not that I'm bitter, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> but she did kill them. Um, my, I called them Hermione Granger. So I was, oh, wow. I, I, named, I named them sometimes and that yeah. makes it, painful when they die yeah uh, but yeah so they died so and then I got new ones I actually got two sets of new ones one from somebody I'd given them to that um, they had been culturing them in raw milk and I just think the grains weren't strong enough to stand up to the raw milk I don't know what happened but they weren't very successful and then I, so I got new ones from gem um, and those are gangbusters like they're going crazy I,
0: I actually do get a, about every two weeks they double I would say Wow. Yeah. I've, I've, I've never had that. Um, I I guess, I mean, I've had my kefir for quite a bit. I I mean, I've, I've, I've killed a kefir back in the day too. So uh, I've had to, to restock uh, a long while ago. But yeah, the thing I do like about my grains currently is that they're, they're one mass. Like they just, so they, uh, it's very easy. I don't have to strain them. I just kind of can scoop it right out off the top. Um, cause there's just one, one chunk. So that's the, but I, I mean, I, I might just have to uh, get some, get some more grains, um, and, uh, and see if I can find some that actually will multiply.
1: That actually, now that you're saying that it's reminding me, the grains that I got from a former student when I came back, they cultured milk fine. Like they made kefir, but they never reproduced. Okay. Um, and I wanted them to reproduce cause I like to
0: give them away. So. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess, uh, there's all kinds of kefir grains out there, I guess. Totally. Um,
1: do you culture in raw milk usually?
0: No, I I do pasteurized milk most of the time. Yeah, I too. mean, Wisconsin, it's a little. I mean, I could if I if I wanted to try and find it, but it's just easier. I can get some yeah. pretty decent local milk, but it's pasteurized. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, do you have uh, any? Anything other than uh, fickle.com where people could find and, and read more about you or places you'd like them to go?
1: Um, No, yeah, they can go on my website. I have an events page there where I talk about whatever classes I'm doing or if I'm doing weird demos or anything. I've like a, kind of a lot of stuff coming up this summer. So um, if you were in the Philadelphia area, I'm even going out into the burbs a couple times. So I should have classes there. But otherwise,
0: no, not really. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, uh, Twitter, Facebook, anything?
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, So on Twitter, I am at Fickle Foods. That's a PH on the Fickle and not on the Foods. Um, On Facebook, I'm pick. Oh, gee, I don't even know. Fickle PHL, which is the airport code for Philadelphia. And I'm on Instagram. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on. Google Plus. I'm on all the things. You can find those on my website too.
0: Okay. Uh, do you do you find that uh, is there a difference when you're or if you do communicate with people about your website outside of Philadelphia versus people that are are there? I mean, do do most people pick up right away the PH thing there and do is it, do you have to do a lot more explaining otherwise or is it? not? I
1: really haven't actually. actually and I'm not sure why. That's a good point. Like maybe people wouldn't really know that. But no, I've actually had. Uh, more, like more, I've had any (laughs) at all compliments on the name of my blog from people who aren't from Philly. Um, like uh, you know, other bloggers or whatever, where you would actually mention what the name of your blog is for a reason. They've been like, "Oh, great name!" You know. So I guess either they don't get it and they like the way it sounds, or oh. I, I don't know. I I really don't know. I never really thought about it to be honest.
0: Oh, I guess it does go back to that whole, you know, every like you're saying everything in Philadelphia is, starts with the the PH. So so there it's not it's not as unique as to, to the rest of us. It it sounds cool. Is that, is that kind of what it comes down to?
1: I, I, I hope that that's – I have no I, – sometimes I feel like it sounds a little ridiculous. I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, like I'm so fickle. I don't know. It, it, sometimes I can feel slightly embarrassed by it, so I'm always glad when out-of-town people say something nice about it so I don't have to feel self-conscious about my name. Sweet. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know.
0: Well, is there, um, you know, any uh, – it's – I'll put I'll put all these things in in the show notes that you that you mentioned. Um, are there any last places other things that? Let me think of that you have that you like to frequent. Like what's your what's your go to places if you have any?
1: Oh, there's really cool stuff. I mean, you mean like um, bloggy things or real yeah, life things?
0: Blog, bloggy things or or I mean or real or if it's a book. I mean, like you already mentioned the cheese book and the art of fermentation. But if there's any other any other takeaways that people.
1: Yeah, there's a couple things. I think, um, what's the right now? I'm reading, um, I should have already been done with it a long time ago, but um, Artisan Cheese Making. And I'm not going to remember the lady's last name, but her first name is John Johnicles, So that should be clear enough. Um, and it's a really, really good cheese book. It was recommended to me by Madame Fromage. And it's, it's like very comprehensive. I think you would like it, actually, if you haven't read it. I've um, seen that
0: one. That one's good. That's the one yeah. with the the photos correct i mean it has a uh, decent amount of I photos in a it.
1: kindle oh okay so, and i haven't seen actually i don't think it has that many
0: photos i wonder if it's oh, another it does
1: have photos fo- it does have photos but they look like the kind of photos that i take which is to say like they'll be like a can sitting on top of a pan with some cheese being pressed underneath it you know what i mean like
0: okay yeah, there are, there this, are photos it's this true. this must be a different book then i'll have to look that one up
1: okay yeah i it, i think it's definitely worth it it's it's the probably the best one that i've been reading and then i also um i heard you talk about the cultured pickle blog which i've been meaning to spend a little bit more time on like when they first announced that they were doing it i read it and like everything i read i'm like oh awesome like they definitely have good stuff on there um so that's worth checking out and then i just got a book called true bruise have you heard about this no i have not Um, It's uh, all about fermented beverages. Um, It's by Emma Christensen. And it's um, I'm actually going to be writing about it. I'm going to make some sodas uh, over the weekend and I'm going to post about the book next week. Um, but it's really neat. Like, it's not the way that I do most fermentation because it's with, um, specific yeast strains, like, you know, the way most homebrewers kind of handle their fermented beverages. Yes. But, um, but I think it's a really, really cool book. And I think it definitely could be like kind of a gateway drug book for people who are a little nervous about getting into fermentation because it feels very... Um, very comfortable. You know what I mean? There's nothing challenging. There's nothing hippie-ish about it. And, um, I, I, it sounds like I'm insulting it. It's a really good book. Like I, I don't mean anything negative about it at all. Um, yeah. And then, oh, you know, have you read, um, real food fermentation? That's the one that I like to give people who are just starting out. Cause it's very clear. It's like the anti-Sander cats, basically. <laughs> everything is like very specific amounts and very specific like reasons for everything. Um, and so I think, for people who are a little bit more controlled and like to have very specific instructions, I think that's a good place to start too.
0: It is. And it has a lot of photos in it uh, is get the step-by-step photos. That's what I really like are step-by-step photos in different books. um, You know, that, that really kind of break things down. So especially for someone just starting out. um, Totally. Totally. Yeah. Oh,
1: and I should call something. (laughs) I'm just going to keep calling things out. Locally. There's um, a company called food and ferments that, um, they're like young, nice people, and they're making like they're making kraut, they're making kvass, they're making um, kombucha, and they're doing all kinds of crazy local flavors to everything. Um, and I think that's really, really cool. Like, I really want to see more businesses like that pop up everywhere.
0: Actually, that would be nice. Yeah, I mean, so do they do uh, when you say kvass? Is it the beet kvass or the bread kvass? Beet or, kvass. Yeah. Beet kvass. Yeah. Have you ever made the bread? I have. I, I really love the flavor of it. Really? Okay. I haven't done that. I've done beet and lettuce, but no, no bread. That was surprisingly one of the first things I did out of that book that was making uh, out of wild fermentation was make yogurt and make kvass. That's awesome. So, so for me, it's like, it seems that most prevalent is the, the beet kvass. And I see that everywhere. But for me, I'm, I, I, I was the, my first introduction with to kvass was the sour beverage of based on the bread.
1: That seems kind of delicious. Like, I am very eager to try
0: that one. It's been on the list for a while. Yeah, it's a little bit more work than BKBAS, but it's yeah. it's worth it. And uh, it, it, for a weird kind of appetizing taste, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, I like rye. Does it taste like rye? It definitely does. I mean, especially, well, I I used rye bread that I had made, and it was extra sour rye bread when I was first experimenting with making rye bread. So it was very rye f- and sour when I used to make it so I don't know if it would always be that way.
1: That sounds seriously amazing. I'm like, okay, maybe we'll move sodas back a week. (laughs) Yes. See, that's the thing. There's always
0: something new. There is. So true. So, Well, thanks for being on the show. Thank Uh, you
1: so much for having me. Honestly, I'm so excited that I had the opportunity to talk to you guys. You're doing such a great job. I love your podcast and your blog and all that stuff. And it's really fun to talk to somebody who is like-minded and equally passionate about for
0: Yeah, it's, it's been great. And, and everything that you mentioned, uh, you'll, uh, anyone can find in the show notes and you can find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 27. And you can also just go, uh, straight to the, uh, website or onto Twitter at firm up or Facebook at firm up. And, uh, until next time firm up.